Hello, and welcome to Spectology, the science fiction book club podcast. I'm your host, Adrian. And I'm Matt. And I'm Seth. Spectology is a science fiction book club podcast where each month we pick a book and read it over two episodes. The first episode is a spoiler-free pre-read where we get into the context of the book. And the second episode, we dig into the book with full spoilers, but really digging into the themes and the ideas of the book. This month, our book is 10 Billion Days and 100 Billion Nights by Ryu Mitsusei. Um, but today we're not talking about that book. Uh, today we're doing what we call our In Conversation series, which are smaller bonus episodes where we talk about other stuff in science fiction. Um, as you heard, we have a guest today. Our guest is Seth Healy, who is the host of several different podcasts, one of which I've been on as a guest. Um, Seth, do you want to introduce yourself a little bit? Then I'll introduce what we're doing today. Sure. I, I'm really excited about this. I've been looking forward to it. Uh, so my name is Seth Heasley. I'm the host of the Hugo's There podcast. I'm also a host of a podcast called Take Me to Your Reader, where we discuss adapted science fiction. And that's a little more germane to what we're talking about today. Um, but yeah, I've been a science fiction fan since I was a kid, mostly kind of more in movies and TV than in books. Um, but in recent years, I've gotten more into the book thing. And that's why kind of uh, I got into the Hugo's podcast. And that's when I had you on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I, you know, the Hugo's there podcast is one that I really enjoy. I really like the project you've taken on, which is like each month you read a different Hugo best novel winning book from like the entirety of the Hugo awards and then mm -hmm. um, have a different guest on to talk about that specific book, whatever they choose. And so um, I think that format's just really great. The conversations have been really interesting, particularly because you have like you as an anchor for each one, but then also like different experts or different just like podcasters or different like types of readers talking about the books that mostly the books they like, um, which, which I always like. So even if you don't like right. the book, usually the other person has. Um, exactly. And so those are really yeah, cool I'm conversations. A, I, I've turned into a fan as well. I think the first time that Adrian, I think we had one episode where Adrian had just been on you, uh, your show where I hadn't listened to it yet. But since then, I've listened to that one. And then I also went back and listened to a bunch of the other ones because it was really fun and I really liked it a lot. Cool. Cool. And yeah, and so I was on a few months ago for um, what The Left Hand of Darkness by Ursula Le Guin. So our listeners might want to listen to that and some of the other ones are very fun. But um, today, like you said, we're, we're moving more on the movie adaptation side of the world. And we're going to talk about science fiction movie adaptations by playing a little game. Um, we're going to be each of us drafting our favorite science fiction movie adaptations. Um, this is based a little bit, so like both apologies and thanks to uh, the All Fantasy Everything podcast. They have a, a very different format ultimately, but the idea for this kind of, kind of came from that podcast. Um, where, you know, each of us is gonna go on in a round, um, we'll pick one of our favorite adaptations or favorite movie adaptations of a science fiction novel or or short story talk about it for a little bit kind of interact with each other that way and then at the end we'll each have a draft we'll each have like our top you know somewhere between three and five depending on how much time we have um like our favorite science fiction movie adaptation so um the order is going to be seth matt and then me um so seth do you want to start us off with uh with your first pick yeah, I can do that. And I, I wanted to do a little bit of preamble um, just because I did kind of approach this from almost a game theory thing. Like, w what can I write down that the other guys aren't going to pick, right? And part of that, I think, is that some of the the philosophy behind it, right? Because if you want to pick best science fiction movie adaptations, you could just do 
best science fiction movies that also happen to be adaptations. And then, you know, we just pull up a list and go, oh, it's those ones because they're adapted. Um, but I tried to take it in a slightly different direction. And I have reasons that I like the different adaptations, not just because they're great movies. So Cool. Cool. That is cool. I appreciate that. All right. So my first pick, um, the category that I put it in was so classic, nobody even knows it's adapted. <laughs> and for this one, the, the story that it's based on is Harry Bates' Farewell to the Master. And the movie is The Day the Earth Stood Still from 1951. Yeah. Oh, cool. I love it. it. Yeah. So it, good. It is a tremendous movie. It's one of those movies that's, you know, 50s science fiction can be really of its time. And mm -hmm. in this case, I, I mean, yeah, it is of its time. They say things like, uh, I think Klaatu calls Gort a robot. <laughs> um, which I always think is tremendous. Um, that's so that's, but that's it's a movie that really that. holds up. I mean, it's a legitimately great movie. The story that it's based on is a lot of fun, but it's just kind of a lark um, where mm -hmm. the movie does something special with it. It does something that science fiction can do where it takes the story and it uses it to, to talk about humanity, to talk about society and, you know, politics and geopolitics. And yep. the thing that it does so well is that it, it talks about, you know, nuclear proliferation right in the heart of the Cold War, right at the nascence of the Cold War. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's an important movie. And it's still it's one that I can watch now and enjoy. Good stuff. Yeah. That's a movie that so I watched over and over again as a kid. I don't know why. I think we had it on VHS. And so, you mm -hmm. know, back in the day when what you had on VHS was what you could watch. Like, I exactly. I loved that film. That That's such a good pick. I actually I I didn't know it. it was an adaptation, too. That's <laughs> solid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. that was one that uh, well when we were originally coming up with a list of stuff to talk about on Take Me to Your Reader, we're like, whoa, I didn't know that was adapted. So. Awesome. Cool, cool. Yeah, Have you guys awesome. ever seen the speaking of adaptations, the remake with Keanu Reeves? No, <laughs> I <laughs> avoided it, but I don't know if deeply I deeply bad. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I think I like it more than most people do. Um, I like the fact that it it went for something in that it uh, it kind of redrafted that message that it had, right? Because the Cold War, you know, nuclear proliferation. Yeah, I can't say proliferation. Um, was no longer the big threat, right? We've still got plenty of nukes around and everything, but it, it pulled it more into a climate change um, idea. Oh, that's really and interesting, actually. I'm yeah. a big fan of Keanu Reeves, and so, you know. I am, too. Weirdly enough, I actually thought he was the best part of that movie, even yes. though he was the thing, you know, he was the actor that got the most heat, I think, for it. But um, I loved yep. his portrayal. It was more than, you too. know. Some of the others. I think it's Jaden Smith, isn't it? Is that right? You, wait, what? Yeah, Jaden Smith. Yeah, Jaden Smith is like a kid, like a real young. Um, he Whoa. plays the main kid. Yeah, it's a weird movie. Um, <laughs> and I so also I really it? like Jaden Smith, but he was just like young, and it was his yeah. second movie or something. Yeah. So would you guys? Would you guys say I should see that if I loved the the 1951 one? No. <laughs> yes. No. I mean, <laughs> you know, I'm a defender of the movie, but uh, but no, I would not. Say, I didn't, don't inflict that on yourself. It's a lot of the plot doesn't make a lot of sense uh, to me. To me, the performance from Keanu Reeves is strong enough that I like watching it. I like that portrayal, mm. like like Adrian said, but. No, the movie really isn't worth watching. <laughs> yeah, it's right. it's not a good movie, unfortunately. Unlike the original, which is totally worth watching. I actually yeah. haven't seen it in, like, I've probably never seen it not on my old VHS tape. So, like, oh, yeah. I might I might see if oh, Amazon yeah. has it this you evening. You know what we yeah. should do is, 
is watch a bunch of these movies. Yeah, right? for real. <laughs> for real. Yeah. Okay, I so I love um, your pick. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be time master and taskmaster okay. here since we we all unfortunately have a have a short period of time we can do it. So Matt, right. you're up next. Okay, I am interested to hear what you guys have if you guys are willing to accept this. I want to pick <laughs> Nauska in the Valley of the Winds as my top pick. Um, my first pick. And it is, of course, an adaption of a manga, not a novel. And so oh, okay. I'm I'm interested in uh, in what you guys think of that. But but my my logic here is basically that the the core thing that we want to talk about is adaptation of some kind of literary form. I think the a manga is absolutely a literary form that I would want to investigate in a pretty similar way to how I would investigate a novel. One of the core reasons why manga might be better for that than um, an American comic, but like similarly good for that, you know, to a bon dessiné, is that they tend to have a very strong single author and tell very mm. strong single stories that have yeah. beginnings and ends. Yeah. So I think I think it's fair. I think to, it, I think it fits for those reasons. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. So I'm going to go with Nausicaa and the Valley of the Winds. If you don't know, this is a, an anime, a feature length anime movie um, directed by Hayao Miyazaki based on the manga of the same name that he also wrote. And uh, it came out... Um, it's the story of a post-apocalyptic world uh, where humans live in these sort of very small, isolated f- agricultural communities with roughly medieval technology. Mm-hmm. And, and then some humans do, and then other humans have access to like larger polities with more advanced technology. But most of the earth has been destroyed by ecological catastrophe and is inhabited and is uninhabited by people and uninhabitable, but it is like inhabited by giant, crazy insect creatures of various types. Hmm. And so the story is kind of the story of different human polities in this post-apocalyptic world and their differing attempts to interact with nature and craft like a different kinds of relationships with nature that mm. will that will work for them. On the one hand, you've got some humans who want a kind of harmonious existence. And on the other hand, you've got some humans who want to, um, they have a kind of scientific uh, uh, positivist uh, policy. They, they want to just, they want to understand how the world works and then use their understanding to manipulate, manipulate it precisely to their ends. And they don't mm-hmm. care about it like as, you know, for any other reason than as raw materials. <laughs> and so I love this movie because... I, it's literally one of my favorite movies because it's um, an incredibly great adventure story and it has incredibly deep and powerful themes that are absolutely timeless. They're just as relevant now as they were then. And the movie does such an incredibly good job at being mature in in its consideration of the different points of view that it puts forth. I mean, we, <laughs> we definitely are given kind of, you know, quote unquote villains and, and heroes, but they really don't work the way that like... You know, mm-hmm. villains and heroes work in a lot of Hollywood movies mm-hmm. where there's a lot of empathy for the for the position of the people that want to control nature. Anyway, right. I love That's this movie cool. to death. I've I actually also, I've yeah. heard of this movie for years and I've never seen it. And that description just like really makes me want to go watch it. Yeah. It's definitely one of the best movies of the last like 50 years, I think, because, well, for one thing, the adaptation is incredible to take a manga that is um you know, many volumes and condense it to a two hour film that make that not only makes sense, but in some sense, you know, you could argue is better than the original manga. Although the original manga is very good. 
mm-hmm. is an incredible achievement. I'm still not sure quite how they how he did it. Um, it's visually stunning, um, and it's incredibly influential. Um, it, you know, it's been very influential on a, you know the subsequent generations of anime people, but also Western audiences also. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, and like I, I don't have a lot of experience with manga or anime actually, but the adaptation from something like a comic book or manga to a film is a different kind of adaptation in a lot of ways than than from a regular book, just because you already kind of have some mm. built-in visuals. Yeah. Um, and I'm curious, is one of the things that you like about that is that the visual style is similar? Yes, it's very, okay. it's it's basically the same because you've got a lot of the same people involved. That's cool. Um, and, you know, obviously anime and manga are are e- perhaps even, even easier um, to, uh, it's e- perhaps even easier to imagine an adaptation working from a manga to an anime because uh, because of that fact, because so many of the yeah. same people are involved. It's not just that they're doing a storyboard and then somebody takes the storyboard. It's like literally the same, you know, line pencilers and illustrators and, and colorists and, and so mm-hmm. on. Um, cool. And the same author, too, in this case. But that said, not every movie does does it like this movie. They it was an, It's like, actually, in addition to being such a great movie, it's one of the best adaptations I could even conceive of. That's awesome. <laughs> That's cool. Cool. Okay, so we're going to move on and I'm going to I'm going to do my first one and I'm going with, you know, what might be conceived as a safe pick or maybe also an edge case at the same time. <laughs> and I'm going to pick 2001 A Space Odyssey. Okay, um, very fair. Very it's fair. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, I first saw it again when I was really young. I think my dad had a VHS, like rented the VHS and like he didn't watch it, but I did. And like, you know, it started off my love affair of really like long, silent, quiet movies. Mm. Um, And then in addition to that, so the way that 2001 A Space Odyssey was written is it was actually a collaboration between Stanley Kubrick and Arthur C. Clarke. So they came up with a story based on one of Arthur C. Clarke's like short stories. So I think from there it it, like absolutely fits. Um, Mm -hmm. But then they came up with a story for the movie together, which was much longer and, you know, expanded greatly on the original short story. And then Clarke went and wrote the novel version of it while Kubrick like wrote and shot and, you know, made the movie version of it. Um, And so what you have are these two like, parallel versions of the final story where like Mm -hmm. not neither is wholly you know like neither is the ur text neither like came before the other one um rather it's a collaboration between two authors working in like two very very different media um and i think it's really cool the book is like you know the book is what you would expect from an Arthur C. Clarke novel where it's like, you know, competently written, definitely gets like weird and spacey at the end, especially for the like golden age. I mean, I think he was the most kind of like out there when you look for books like Childhood's End and 2001 mm-hmm. and whatnot. And but then you have 2001 A Space Odyssey, the movie, which is like wild um you know it's so quiet huge chunks of the movie take place without any dialogue um a lot of it is just like one man on his own and it's also three very distinct you know it's not even a three act structure it's like you know three very distinct sections to the movies which have like different characters different themes different points to them so you know in the middle of this movie you have a you know which is a movie about like 
how did humans gain consciousness and what kind of like greater consciousnesses can we achieve? You also have like a, you know, a mini movie within it about a computer doing the same. And like, mm -hmm. what does that look like? And how does, you know, how do, how do we like fight against like our technological children, the technological consciousness that like we made? Mm -hmm. um, you know, so, so many iconic scenes, so many iconic shots, so many, you know, like, the the final scene of Hal 9000 like dying and regressing and like singing a song as he like knows that his like intelligence and consciousness is fading away like makes me cry i mean it's so haunting mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. wild and beautiful it's a, it's a movie that i've always loved i love the way it like is deeply an adaptation at its core but also deeply mm -hmm. a collaboration and uh yeah i think it's just like great <laughs> and like you know needs needs yeah. to be top of any of these lists yeah yeah agreed. no that's a great pick yeah that's that was one i think we probably all thought about yeah i wrote it down yeah. but i'm like eh, somebody yeah. else will pick this one exactly this is actually one that i came around on pretty recently um where i had watched it and i was like wow that's a movie i guess um but <laughs> uh, but didn't really get it and now you know I wouldn't say it's a movie I love. It's a movie I very much appreciate now. Mm -hmm. But the thing that I really like about it is that it is kind of the quintessential science fiction film now yeah. um, because mm -hmm. of the visual style mm -hmm. that it has, the way that they did the practical effects that honestly yeah. still hold up today. Oh, for uh, sure. Totally. Totally. When you think about when it was made. There's also there's this amazing moment in the film where the main character is like preparing himself to just like like break his airlock seal so that mm -hmm. it will like shove him from like, you know, his little pod, like, you know, and like a puff of air will shove him into the main spaceship. Um, and there's just like a several minute long shot of him, like silently preparing himself for this, like mm -hmm. incredibly fast, yeah. incredibly dangerous, like moment. Mm -hmm. And it's just like this shot of him, like silently psyching himself up is like, holds up as well and like better than any movie now where it's like he's going to be like talking to himself and slapping himself in the face <laughs> instead you just get a guy like scared and determined that's mm -hmm. yeah. great yeah it does things that uh, yeah it's and it, it, of course I, I love talking about influence you know obviously one of the most influential movies of all time i mean it's mm -hmm. it's it's tendrils reach into countless genres and mm -hmm. media and directors works and you know it's just everywhere so yeah agreed cool okay seth time for your second pick all right uh i'm just trying to figure out i'm like i'm looking at the clock and i'm like i just need to get in my favorite movies um, and <laughs> do it do, do it. it so so that's why i'm gonna go with the next one this this is actually my favorite movie right now um and it's the prestige the christopher nolan film oh uh, cool. to me this is easily nolan's best film and it mm -hmm. is adapted from a book, from a Christopher Priest book. Um, mm -hmm. Not the Christopher Priest who writes like Black Panther comics. It's a different guy. <laughs> yeah. even. Right, right. He's um, a British Good author. to know. I would not have known. <laughs> yeah. And I've read the book a few times and I do enjoy it. Um, the movie makes substantial changes to it that somehow just just make it a better story for me. But mm -hmm. the, the, really cool. th the thing that I like a lot about it is the book is told in kind of that epistolary format almost, you know, with letters and journals and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And the movie manages to keep that, even though that's much easier to do in a book. Um, and so I really appreciate the craft of being able to integrate that very literary part of a book into a movie and make it make sense. Um, plus the fact is that like the performances from the leads are just fantastic. Oh. Um, and you know, for anybody who hasn't seen it, it's, it's a, I have not seen it's it. It's a story about, oh. you haven't seen it. 
correct. We'll have to be spoiler free in that case. Yeah, it will be spoiler free. (laughs) But it's a story about obsession, right? And Mm -hmm. and it's got these these two magicians who are rivals and they both want to outdo each other. Um, and one's obsessed with finding the secret of the the other guy's trick and the lengths to which they both go. Um, it's just yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a stunning film. I, I love it. I love the visual style of it. I love the score. Um, I love the nonlinear narrative. Good stuff. It is very cool. It's Hugh, it's Hugh Jackman and um, what's his name? Christian, Christian Bale. Bale. And yeah. they're both just such great performances. I think you're mm-hmm. right. You know, I'm not actually a huge Nolan fan, but I think you're right that that's probably my favorite movie of his. Yeah. Interesting. It's, it is not a cheery film, I, I will say. No, like, they, no. it, I challenge you to find the hero in this movie um, because everybody's kind of kind of bad yeah you're right it's like there's no hero but also like everyone is like dealt with empathetically and like you know yeah. you get it you get every single person's perspective mm-hmm. it's so interesting that that's an adaptation having not seen it i still would never i would never have thought of that um mm-hmm. it's really interesting to me also the idea of adapting an epistolary novel that's nuts yeah man that's well, really even cool. like like frankenstein if you've ever seen it is um, yeah. the original novel is told it has a framing narrative that's done that way right it does i i I don't know if i've seen that either well it's the only other epistolary novel which is not a science fiction novel so i think it's safe to like say it that i've seen is um dangerous liaisons or or, you know Mm. the the what's what's the high school version of that um oh uh yeah Uh, sharon michelle geller which is like i think a phenomenal adaptation generally Um, i can't come up with it yeah it's hard, you know, it's like, how do you keep that like differing perspectives and, mm-hmm. you know, kind of literary element and also just like, you know, like everyone kind of like self aggrandizing and the prestige does that self aggrandizement and like everyone, the hero of their own story thing really well. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Very good pick. I, I, that was not even on my list or radar at all. And that's like, oh, that's a great y- pick. Yeah. You know, Perfect. I have actually one quick question if we can do it quickly. How yeah. do you feel about thinking about this movie as a science fiction movie? I've never seen it, but having never oh, seen definitely. it, I had sort of thought it wasn't sci-fi. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of tangential to science fiction in a lot of ways because it's set in Victorian times, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's absolutely a science fiction element to it. Yeah. Cool. 100%. It's, you know, cool. it's like historical science fiction of a type mm-hmm. that doesn't often cool. get written, but it, it definitely works. That's awesome. I actually yeah. really like that. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Okay, Matt, what's, what's, what's number two All for right. you? This is maybe another interesting one. I don't <laughs> know if you guys would have predicted this, but this is also for a long time was my favorite science fiction movie. Unless you count Star Wars, which I'm leaving out, but um, Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea, the 1954 oh, nice. Disney mm. adaptation. So, is that a, is that a live the live action one? Correct. Okay, Correct. Kirk Douglas, okay. starring Kirk Douglas, yeah. James Mason, Peter Lorre. I mean, it's an amazing movie. It is. Um, yeah, it's terrific. So this movie I watched like over and over again when I was a kid. Uh, so it's always got that special place in my heart for that reason. Um, it's also, you know, of all the ones we've talked about, maybe possibly the most traditional adaptation, so to speak, mm. which is to say that it's like a famous novel. Somebody w- wanted to make a big budget, like mass market movie based on a novel that was really, really popular. Mm-hmm. And they were just like, let's take this novel and make it into a movie and we'll just use this story. Do you know what I mean? So it's very sort of straightforward in what it's doing. Mm-hmm. But it's not so straightforward when you think about the task at hand, because the novel is like... <laughs> <laughs> like it's like really really long and discursive 
and <laughs> this like 19th century French novel that like Americans might not be as familiar with, even though of course it's, it is a pretty famous for a French novel novel. Um, but they did it so well. Like they managed to capture this kind of sense of length and sense of epic scope where you've got this ensemble cast who are experiencing like adventure after adventure after adventure with each other. So it captures the sense of like very long period of time passing with lots of different stories accumulating while still maintaining this kind of broader narrative momentum and making you feel at the end that you've seen something cohesive that mm. has a real plot to it. Mm-hmm. Not only that, but you know, for the time, I mean, came at, came at 1954, it had amazing effects. It had amazing kind of mm-hmm. now, you know, some of them don't hold up at all, like the squid fight or whatever. It's, it's a little <laughs> ridiculous if you watch sure. it now, but it's ridiculous in a good way, I think, you know, so it's like, <laughs> it's fun. Um, but you know, if you don't know, it's basically the story of, it's like, um, the best way to describe it nowadays would be to call it kind of almost steampunk. Like it's the story of right. this like advanced technology in the Victorian age. Mm-hmm. Um, it was written in the Victorian age. So it was really like written, you know, in the way that a lot of sci-fi books are written, the, the original novel, um, you know, where the author Jules Verne was like trying to extrapolate pieces of technology out from stuff that he saw around him. He was familiar with a lot of for that then modern science and so on. Mm-hmm. It's the story of a bunch of people on this submarine um, traveling around the world under the sea. And in particular, uh, you know, the kind of, character of captain nemo yeah uh, who who is the kind of lone eccentric genius who funded the submarine and built it um he he's a character who uh played by uh, james mason who's i just freaking love james mason as captain nemo he like <laughs> oh there's so many things i could just go on and on about this movie i need to like <laughs> stop myself because I, I'm, I'm about to start geeking out about it anymore more and more but it's a wonderful movie it is. So and I that's one thing I wanted to talk about about uh, adaptation, where you're talking about um, the traditional kind, right? Where you're just taking a book and you're trying to translate yeah. that into film. Um, yeah. I love this quote from Scott Tobias of the AV Club. He says, "When the goal is simply to be as faithful as possible to the material, the best result is a skillful abridgment of the source." Mm. But sometimes that should be the goal, right? Because the book can be mm-hmm. long and meandering and, and lots of digressions and that kind of stuff. And you can streamline it down and say, this is the story. We're going to put yeah. that on film. So, yeah. 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 And that's a, that is a movie that is good at taking like a, you know, many stories over this long novel and turning it into like one core of a story and like, yeah creating a main character and a you know kind of like main you know captain nemo in that movie is interesting he's like he starts off as like kind of the antagonist and grows into the protagonist over the course Mm -hmm. of the film at least that's how i remember it is like he starts off as this sort of like you know kind of like feared you know dread pirate roberts kind of (laughs) yeah that's right um that's a good pick. I, I haven't seen that also since I was like a child. Yeah, me neither. I think my mom always had a big crush on Captain Nemo because I'm remembering now how oh, she'd always be like, oh, who he didn't? was her, her favorite. <laughs> who, who didn't? All right. Just think of him. I th- Picture him as I do sitting in front of his organ deep in the bowels of the sea, like as a storm rages above playing like, you know, Bach. It's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. It's so good. It's like something out of... Um, 
Metalocalypse, the Brendan Small cartoon where they go underwater to play heavy metal yeah, well, and make it deep. They, <laughs> I'm, I, you know, they're, they're cribbing from this. Oh, I'm, I'm sure. sure. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Very good pick, Matt. Okay. So um, for my next one, I have two that I'm deciding from, both of which came out within like the last year and a half or two. Uh-oh. Okay, I'm gonna uh, yeah, I'm gonna go for a more modern one, and I'm gonna go for Annihilation. Okay, mm. um, which was a movie that came out last year. I saw it in theaters. I was I one of too. like five people who saw it. Okay, so you were two. We were, we were two of like five people who saw it in yeah, theaters. I, I took my son with me too. So <laughs> I, I still need to see that movie. I love the book, and I just it's, never got around to it. So I read the book. Um, I think probably around the time that I learned that um, Alex Garland, right? Alex Garland. So um, when I learned that Alex Garland, I think around that time was going to make a film adaptation of it. I read the book. Maybe I read it a little bit earlier. I forget now, but um, the book is very good. And the book is like Jeff Vandermeer writing this, you know, kind of like it's very much fits under the label of like new weird, like in Jeff Vandermeer's kind of like, you know, taxonomy of what weird fiction is um, where it's like about, ecology and psychology and there's definitely something kind of like abstract or impressionistic about the novel um and i thought that the movie did such a good job of pulling that feeling of adapting like the feeling of the novel without being focused Mm. on the like specific plot points or what happens another really interesting thing about this adaptation is that you know, the novel was like always designed to be the first of a trilogy. There are like the the three in the Southern Reach trilogy and they all like fit together and each one kind of builds on the previous one. Uh, Garland read Annihilation and was like, I just want to adapt this one novel. So his process was that he didn't read any of the other novels. He didn't learn anything about them. That's and cool. he really like took this one novel as its own complete story and like turned it into something that like could be its own complete story um, mm-hmm. while keeping the ambiguity and keeping the like, you know, I love this film. Um, Tessa Thompson's in it who, you know, I've had like a huge crush on for the last like couple <laughs> I of think years. Everybody has a crush on Tessa. I, didn't, yeah, she, I, I agree with that, but I didn't know she was in it. That's awesome. Yeah, she's in it. She plays a really cool character. Um, Natalie Portman plays the lead and mm. a very different thing for her. Um, Oscar Isaac is in it and he giving really? like, he gives such a good performance. He's I mean, like an amazing actor. He's oh, one yeah. of our best working actors right now. Yeah. And he and Garland have worked together on a couple of films, including he was in. I mean, the wild thing is you see him in Ex Machina and then you see him in Annihilation, which are like both movies directed by the same director. And mm-hmm. like, I honestly didn't know it was the same actor at first, like before right. I knew who he was like. Mm. It's wild. Um, he is so good in both of them. And yeah, and it's just like, a, you know, it's this movie that, you know, because it's so weird and like the, you know, the studio really didn't know what to do with it. So they pretty much like released it in theaters for like five weeks and then like quietly like dropped it. It made like half its budget right. back um, at the theater um, and it got like a Netflix distribution deal immediately. So yeah, it's they never worth, had it's a worthwhile release. Watching. It didn't know it was just Netflix worldwide, yeah. unfortunately. Um, but I think I think it's phenomenal. And I think it's both a really, really good, creepy film. I mean, it's kind of scary. It is. Um, yeah. And also just like such a perfect adaptation of like the feeling of the source material. And like, mm-hmm. I don't I don't know if you can like get the source materials like feeling and weirdness any better than that movie does. 
Mm, nice. uh, but if you want the plot to be the same, then you're going to be disappointed. And I think a lot of, you know, nerds were disappointed. Nerds. Yep. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, with that. Uh, well, no, that, that's a good example, though, of, of different ways to do adaptation, right? Yeah, yeah I that think, is. I think so. Um, you know, you, there's a lot of different things that you can choose to adapt and you can't adapt all of them necessarily. Right. And I, you know, for what I liked about that mo novel, like, you know, Garland, he really wanted to build a space where like the feeling of that novel would come through, which I think is mm. really cool. Um, okay. Uh, Seth onto, onto okay. your third and like probably final one where we'll get the full amount of time to talk about okay. these. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, since you went more modern, I was I was worried you were going to pick this one, so I'm going to take it. Um, the movie is Arrival. Oh, that's almost yeah. what I. That yeah. was the second so that's one. The, yeah. of movie. Was that the other one you were going to do? That was that was the. Yeah. I was picking yeah. between those two. Yeah. Yeah. So this one's based on a Ted Chang story. It's a terrific story called uh, "Story of Your Life." Mm -hmm. um, it makes some serious changes to it, and one of the things that I like about it is, well, one, it's just it's a masterpiece. It's a really really mm -hmm. good film. Really, really well directed. Incredibly yeah, Denis active. Denis Villeneuve, I think, um, is the director. They made some some visual, I guess, wh what I'm saying is like in the book, it's all about language, right? They, mm -hmm. they managed to make a film where the science was linguistics um, mm -hmm. and do a really good job of it. But in the book, you know, it talks about the language and they had to find a way to put that on screen and to have it be compelling. And the way that they did it with like that that squid ink kind of or octopus ink uh, projection for yeah. for the writing is Amazing really, really choice. cool. So cool. Um, the other thing I like about it's I like a science fiction movie that makes me think because there's there's a there's some questions yeah. of bioethics and and morality of uh, particular the, this character if she's going to have a baby or not because mm -hmm. of information that she has. And I don't want to spoil too much of it if people haven't seen it. Um, but it's a it's a first contact story, and if anybody hasn't seen it, it's a first contact with alien story where these aliens are so alien they need somebody to come in and try to figure out what the language means yeah. um and that's where the story unfolds from and i i can't say anything else about it without really spoiling it so yeah it's a cool movie i i think i might even like the movie more than the story and i really like mm -hmm. ted chang so yeah that's saying something that's really cool. I so I I I'm interested in this pick. Uh, one reason I'm interested in it is that I really like the story and I like the movie, but I it probably wouldn't crack my top my top five or whatever. And so I sure. didn't really it wasn't really heavy in the consideration. And one reason is because I found that I liked the story a lot more than the movie, and mm. that sort of made me not wanna mm. not wanna pick the movie you know to talk about sure. but yeah um i did like it i'm interested in why why you think um the movie is uh rises to the level of the story maybe yeah i mean i'm not even sure that i can articulate it right it's just kind of mm -hmm. a your mileage may vary thing part of it was the yeah. experience of watching it i took my son to it um he was just kind of beginning to love cinema Oh, and wow. and we went to it and he's just he's like that movie was amazing and and oh, he wow. didn't know anything about the story at all and so i was able to interview yeah. him about hey when did you catch on to this you know and he's mm -hmm. like well like like 30 oh, cool. seconds before it happened you know um, <laughs> that's so cool and, yeah and so i i don't know there's something about the immersive nature of a of a movie with the score and with the acting and the visuals yeah. mm -hmm. um that this one just it hit all the right spots for me and right. and the fact that i was there with my son it yeah know, makes a right. makes a difference too yeah okay. so i i mean i also you know liked it a whole lot and my answer for that is that the 
story is very focused on kind of the science in a way where it's like really deeply trying to explain kind of like the combination of like quantum physics and linguistics theory that it's Mm -hmm. like working out. And that honestly didn't work great for me probably because i'm like a linguistics person and so like the heart like trying to be like oh yeah saper wharf plus quantum mechanics equals like (laughs) thing didn't really work for me whereas the movie is a little bit more impressionistic and i think also just like it's a little bit easier like because the movie is so focused on the emotions and feelings of the characters and because it's such a like overwhelming like auditory and visual experience mm-hmm. and the sound design in the movie is like yeah. so yeah. key to the way that it works that it, it it was much easier for me to let go of like whatever like oh but like you know actually linguistics is like this thing that i did <laughs> reading the story and it like just give myself up to the movie yeah yeah, yeah. cool Cool. Right. Good. Great. Great pick, Seth. Like I said, almost. Yeah. <laughs> I was almost. I almost stole it from you, but I'm glad. Yeah. I'm glad we did different ones. So, um, Matt, what's what's your final kind of long right. pick here? So I, I have another weird one. Um. Well, okay. There's two two things I'm really on the fence about. I guess I'll go with a non weird one, and then we'll talk about the weird one at the end. So the non weird mm-hmm. one is that I wanted to pick another 1950s classic literary adaptation, <laughs> Time Machine. Oh, cool. Mm. Mm-hmm. Which I Whoa. also saw when I was little. The, uh, sorry, not 1960. The, the the this this version of the movie Time Machine came out in 1960. Okay, so not the um, Guy Pierce movie. No, no. Although I have seen <laughs> that, and and that's um that's that's I don't know that it, a lot of this pick has to do with me seeing this when I was little and it having an impact on me then. I think that it. I would not rate it at the level of some of these other movies. I I don't think it probably yeah, holds holds up. <laughs> I don't think it probably holds up as well, but I do think that, um, I think it's a, a really like, it's a really effective adaptation in one very specific sense, which is that when I was little and I read the story, the time machine, it blew my mind. Mm-hmm. It absolutely blew my mind in this very particular way. It, it is the, the, the sense of sort of cosmic scale and the melancholy of like passing across eons, mm-hmm. that particular emotional uh, landscape is something that has always stayed with me and that I look for in other things. And that is like a very powerful sort of driver in my interest in a lot of different kinds of narrative and the movie, like total, this 1960 film for me, totally captured that. Um, Hmm. in particular, just the first scene where he travels through time and you see the world decompose around him in the special effects of 1960. Um, that was just that perfectly captured. And then, of course, his, his reaction to arriving. I think that, you know, a lot the big chunk of the movie that deals with the actual Eloy and Morlocks and all that is not good, really. But yeah, <laughs> but um, but the sort of the 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 actual and, and one of the reasons, by the way, that it's not good is that I think it loses like H.G. Wells was like, you know, had politics that make sense to me. And I think that the politics of the 1960 movie are much worse <laughs> the racial politics uh yeah. that come out of the movie are are pretty terrible um but um you know but but the actual kind of traveling through time bit the the sort of the emotional beats there and you know what's interesting about that also is that i i've talked to my dad about this movie and he saw this movie when he was a kid and he had hmm. like the same reaction and uh that, that's kind of cool 
as well. So, so this is kind of a weird yeah. pick in the sense that I don't actually think that the movie is that good, but there's this one thing about it that kind of is amazing. The, <laughs> the, the sense of traveling through time, that particular thing. So you've um, picked like a scene from a movie. Kind of. <laughs> I also think like as an adaptation, it's, it's interesting because it's very faithful. It's like a very mm. faithful adaptation. Um, it's just a very sort of straightforward, not like incredibly amazingly well-made, but like very faithful adaptation. And at the same time, it also has this problem that we haven't gotten into that some movies have where it, it doesn't understand its own source material well enough to, to understand the sort of political implications of the Eloy and the Morlocks as HG Wells mm. intended them to be understood. And mm. therefore it gets into this weird racial politics instead Instead right. of like a class thing that was it was intended to be, mm-hmm. um, and you know that is a thing that happens in adaptations a lot. But that said, yeah. I didn't pick this to, to 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 like you know be mean to it. Although it is bad, I, I picked it because there's this beautiful <laughs> thing that happens. There's this really beautiful, um, almost like uh, romantic evocation of time travel, which I think is really cool. 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 I, that's a bold move, picking a mm-hmm. objectively bad movie as your final. Well, it, and, and when I was a, and, right. and when I was a kid, I totally. did enjoy it. Right. Like, totally, you know, totally. I, yeah. No, I'm, I'm teasing. I think that's a that, that is a cool pick. I remember not liking that movie as a kid. <laughs> um, but I think also my first experience with the time machine in any media was the wishbone adaptation of it. Whoa. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> so that also that. probably colors the way I view that, in you know, the novel and all the other movies of yeah. it. <laughs> cool. Okay. So final. Okay. So for my final one, I have three left on my list that didn't get picked and I'm going to choose the one that's most different, even though it's probably my least favorite of the three because it's it's interesting and I'm going to choose Starship Troopers yeah, um, okay. the movie <laughs> That's a good and pick. I'm picking this because it does something that I don't think any other movies we've picked yet does which is it takes the source material and it says hey the politics in this are really bad let's make fun of it <laughs> right. um and i and i i, I like that i i really appreciate what um what uh what, what's his name the, the dutch guy yeah verhoven is doing um there it's i mean one is as just like a fun action flick it is actually a really fun action flick um yeah. and it so is. When I was a kid, I read a lot of Heinlein and I really liked Heinlein, but always felt kind of icky about his like politics. Um, you know, it was one of these things that my like dad had given me to, re- to read. <laughs> Weirdly, when I was like nine, my dad was like, you should read Stranger in a Strange Land. <laughs> I think because he hadn't read it since he was a kid and didn't remember the context. Oh, of my it. God. That's so weird. The same thing happened to me. My dad also gave me that book when I was way too young. Yeah. That's like, so inappropriately funny. young to be reading yeah. that novel. It's just all like weird sex. It's like all weird sex, man. <laughs> and weird like, read that death one yet, cult so. sex. It's it's a weird book. Um, um, yep. <laughs> it's not bad, actually. It's probably one of his more interesting novels because I went on and I've I've read almost every single Heinlein novel. Weirdly enough, Starship Troopers is one of like two novels of his I haven't read. Um, but like I have a pretty good understanding of his politics and the send up that this movie does of those politics, which are, you know, kind of like this combination of like... W- 
I, I hesitate to say libertarian because it's really, you know, it's more like self-reliant type stuff. Plus, like, you know, very fashy, like, oh, you know, the only people who can be citizens are like those who serve in the military thing that he has going on. Um, and, you know, Starship Troopers, I think, does a really good send up of like why that society is actually really awful um, mm. while presenting it kind of like through, the, you know, I mean, like the frame of Starship Troopers is that like the movie is that it is an actual propaganda film filmed like in universe and like talking about how great it is. But then like you're watching it and you're like, oh, war is terrible. Everyone just dies. All of this like hardcore training that they do doesn't actually save them. So the like torture they go through in basic training is largely for the like pleasure of their sadistic like leaders, not for actually training them to be better soldiers in any way. And like the society is one that like, you know, it's it's in a lot of ways a death cult it's in a lot of ways like one that like values death more than life and that's yeah, true and I, of i think fascism generally and yeah, so i and think it's you know a really good kind of like uh, you know for for all that like you know i i think for hoven's politics like some are better than others but i i this i think is a novel or a movie where he takes one particular kind of like like the themes of one book and like twists them well, like keeping the story actually straightforward and pretty similar and like really plays with the themes in a way that like works for me. Um, mm. And I think it's interesting. I think it's a kind of thing that adaptation can do. Um, adaptation can like be like a funhouse mirror to an original work and like make mm -hmm. you look at that work in a different light. Um, and so that's a lot of why I'm picking it is I think it does that really well. Nice. Cool. Yeah, Seth, so you we... seem to be a little bit surprised that I chose that one. Well, it's it's a movie that I don't love, um, and and I mm -hmm. do enjoy the book quite a bit. And it's not because of the politics. I actually like a lot of the mechanics of the way the powered armor works. And so yeah. it was always one of those things where I was kind of doing that. Well, actually, they're supposed to be having powered armor, you know. <laughs> um, so so yeah, it it brings out the the close adaptation nerd in me uh, yeah. in a lot of ways yeah. and the fact is like if you wanted to do a a subversive adaptation of starship troopers the forever war already exists and you could just adapt that right? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's fair that's somewhat fair <laughs> yeah there's a weird thing about that movie where like at the like at the very end it like loses the courage of its convictions mm -hmm. you know and like kind of be just actually is like it has a bit of a happy ending. Right. Yeah, I think that's kind of a little bit of like Verhoeven's style of satire a little bit leaking through. But I, I do agree. I do agree. It doesn't quite yeah. stick the landing quite the no, same No, but when you, when you look at that one as a satire, you know, you look at it as having a lot of comedy to it. Um, you can appreciate it on, on that level. Mm -hmm. and, and I do appreciate it on that level. Just right. not so much as an adaptation of the book. Right. And like I said, it's definitely of the of the two other not movies, I think are both better, like are definitely better movies and more interesting. But like I wanted mm -hmm. to pick the one that like gotcha. does something different from the other ones that I would picked. Yeah. Cool. cool. So cool. how are we going to uh, clean up a uh, lightning round? The rest yeah, of the, yeah. Yeah. Let's round. let's each go through like, you know, kind of like what do you have left on your list that we didn't end up picking in like real, okay. real briefly. So one of the things that I wanted to pick was Planet of the Apes. Um, because it's a great yeah, movie, Ooh, it's a cool. great book, but the 
I actually want to pick Rise of the Planet of the Apes because the the main problem is mm. I'm sorry I'm 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 going off script here not not so much lightning. Um, the thing <laughs> that I don't like about Planet of the Apes the book is when it explains how the ape uprising happened, and the Rise and Dawn and War series of movies actually does a better job of making mm. that plausible, right? It, those are the more recent like modern ones with like Andy Serkis. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, I mean, I I haven't seen any of those. Interesting. I really, oh, so they're great. And I love this pick because I didn't even occur to me that the more recent ones could be sort of, but they, yeah, I guess that makes total sense. Yeah. I I mean, if you want to say that they're an adaptation, they're an adaptation of this one chapter of the original novel. But, but that Um, really, it's more total sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, No, that definitely works. That's cool. One of the other ones I wanted to throw out just to piss people off was (laughs) iRobot. Um, <laughs> love it, love it. Uh, the the category that I put this one is never was an adaptation adaptation uh, because <laughs> this was like the movie was based on like a spec script for like a closed room uh, mm-hmm. or locked room robot murder mystery, and yep. then the studio got uh, the rights to Asimov set of stories and slapped some Asimovian stuff on top of it and called it iRobot. If you release this movie under a different title. I think people would like it just fine, but the fact yeah. that it's it yeah. says iRobot just nerds that, cannot oh, handle. Yeah, that. so this is actually a great topic. The whole concept of adaptations that are like the so I one of the things I was thinking about was um, all you need is kill, which yes. is the manga that became uh, or no, sorry, the novel. It's a novel that became right. um, became a manga and became uh, Edge of Tomorrow. Became a manga and also became Edge of Tomorrow. Edge of Tomorrow. Is this fascinating example, just like iRobot, of a movie that, like, if it had been marketed differently, people mm-hmm. would have been way more receptive to. But somehow they marketed it in the, like, perfectly worst way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> worst way. And, you know, a, a really cool and interesting sci-fi story became this, like, seemed to be this, like, banal, you know, weird thing. But it, it's it's actually just like a really cool story, and if they kept yeah. the original title, and I don't know, it would have done a lot better, I think. Anyway. Is that is that the the Tom Cruise? Yes. Okay, yeah. I have never seen that. Interesting. Yeah, it's, it's cool. really. I love that movie. Yeah, it's a cool Ooh. movie. I'll have to. Yeah. I'll put that on my list. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah what? Um, so my my two that are left over. Well, one of them, which is you know not going to be a surprise to anyone who listens to this podcast, is Cloud Atlas by the Wachowskis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, mm-hmm. which like, you know, on the one hand, like, you know, Stan legends, I'm like a huge Wachowski like fan. Um, mm-hmm. and then on the other hand, I actually think, and I know a lot of people who disagree with me about this, but I think it is a phenomenal adaptation of the initial book, which I was unsure how that book was going to be adaptable in the first place. Sure. And because it has like, like part of the book's conceit is it's like, narrative structure the like way the narrative and plots like interweave and the movie did something that was like filmic and it did not like keep the structure per se but it like it made it work it like gave me the same feeling of reading the novel for the first time uh this is another like you know movie that actually came out the weekend of hurricane sandy here in new york so made like zero money opening weekend and then like (laughs) zero money overall was a really big flop so i i guess i also kind of you know (laughs) i picked two flops here (laughs) (laughs) yeah 
Um, so I actually wanted to real quick, I wanted to give a shout out to a number of movies that um, didn't make the list for one very specific reason, which is that I haven't seen them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I really wanted to talk about Tarkovsky movies and yep. I really wanted to like watch several of them that are sci-fi adaptations because he did a bunch of sci-fi adaptations in in preparation for this and I just didn't so I didn't list them for that reason but Solaris (laughs) I think probably from everything I've heard about it I would really like the movie I love the book if I saw that and did indeed like it I would would possibly be like really high on the list another one is Stalker yeah um Mm -hmm. so you know he there's these are these are you know these are movies that I look forward to watching along with some of the other ones that you guys have mentioned that I haven't seen. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody's going to at you guys to, uh, to wonder why we didn't talk about Blade Runner. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. We didn't talk about any, um, Philip K. Or the Dick. matrix. Well, that's yeah. not an adaptation. Well, the matrix, not an yeah. adaptation. I mean, obviously yeah, yeah. it contains ideas, but it's not. Yeah. 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 No, that's well, clear. Dick has quite a few in adaptation, and I think my yeah. favorite's probably Minority Report. But Blade Runner mm. is that super influential film that I don't really love. Yeah, yeah. right. Um, yeah, that's so. the thing for me. Also, is that I, I mean, I, I really like it, but I don't love it. Yeah, <laughs> same. So, it's like yeah, good. I've come to appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. There's, a lot there's of also <clears throat> I think my favorite Dick adaptation is A Scanner Darkly, though. Really, like oh, the yeah, weird yeah. rotoscope. I yeah, love that, that movie. One. I like mm-hmm. Richard Linklater's weird rotoscoped. Robert Downey Jr. is in it, kind of like yeah. in his like fallow period. It's one of the only movies he did. Yeah. It's great. I think it's really great. Yeah. yeah. If if I can throw in one more, um, yeah. That that's just a, it's a really good movie. Is Children of Men. Oh, that was oh, going to yeah. be my and, next one too. Yeah. 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 Good, good point. Um, good that point. that one just like craft of filmmaking. It, on yeah. that one is off the charts yep. yeah. with yep. the long shots and it just I watch them and I'm like how how did they get this shot it, yeah. it does yeah. not seem possible it's not they did actually multiple shots and like computer yeah. graphicked them together oh, is the okay. answer yeah <laughs> um but it's it what I love about it that though is that it's these long shots that actually like serve a purpose in the movie like they need to be long shots rather than like look at how long of a shot i was able to shoot they didn't Mm -hmm. even shoot them fully as long shots they rather like knew that that's what the movie needed and so cut them together in a way to make them a long shot um yeah it's i actually i just rewatched that movie uh like a week or two ago and totally holds up so good i also i want to um there's a movie podcast i really like called let's watch two movies and they Mm. have a recent episode on children of men that like you know if you like the film and want more podcast content that's that's a good one yeah nice so one one other movie that occurred to me actually also that i almost said instead of um instead of uh, uh time machine was the thing um, yes, and especially with the Alaska connect. Well, it's it's not supposed to be Alaska, but they filmed in Alaska. So I was thinking, mm, right. you know, with your guys' Alaska connection, you might be interested <laughs> in talking about the thing. But you know, it's, I've never it's a seen movie. it actually. Oh, John Carpenter, I mean, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's based on a John Campbell novella called "Who yep. Goes There." Yep. Um, so that's the which is based piece. on "Out the Mountains of Madness" by H.P. Lovecraft. Right, right. But it's <laughs> oh, very, really? it's very, 
Yeah, it's very far removed, I would say. Oh, definitely, from definitely. Madness. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, it's just but, kind of a cool pedigree of like as we talk about adaptation, yeah. like right. Yeah, yeah. Areas, there's a know. there's a genealogy there that's really right. Cool. Yeah. No, um, the cool thing about that one is that they're the film from the '50s, the thing from another world, was oh, was this yeah. very oh, tangential yeah. adaptation. Right. Um, yeah, I've actually seen there. that. That's such a cool, weird, like B movie kind of movie. Like yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where then Carpenter took it and went, hey, I'm going to go a little closer to the source. And I always say, like, that's that's the favor that, like, an unfaithful adaptation does a, a book is it leaves it, you know, the book is there. You can read it. You can appreciate it. The movie's an entirely different thing. And, you know, he did Carpenter a favor because he could come in and do some just breathtaking effects and stuff. Yeah. Good movie. Mm-hmm. So that's an interesting one. One of the reasons I didn't pick it is because I haven't seen it in a while and I'm a little concerned that I like the politics of the movie or something that I'm concerned about. That I, I don't remember right. it well enough. So that's why I didn't right. go hard. I go will hard say also that, uh, really good the thing from another world, actually at some point there is a part of the movie that's in Anchorage. So, Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Because yeah, they, they flip it. Like in like 50s Anchorage. Interesting. Yeah. Cool. Well, so to, to recap, I think, uh, you know, Seth, you started, you picked the day the earth stood still, the original fifties version. The Prestige, the adaptation of the novel of the same name uh, by Christopher Priest by Chris Nolan, and Arrival, the adaptation of Ted Chiang's short story. Um, mm-hmm. Matt, you picked uh, Nasca and the Valley of the Winds, the adaptation of the manga, uh, the original Disney 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea adaptation, and the 1960s Time Machine adaptation. Mm-hmm. And then I finished it up and I did 2001 A Space Odyssey. Uh, Annihilation, the adaptation by Alex Garland, and Starship Troopers. Um, nice. So those are some interesting lists. We, I might yep. throw a Twitter poll up and see if anyone wants to, you know, vote on whose list is their favorite. Uh, <laughs> this was a ton of fun, guys. I yeah, love doing this. <laughs> we need I'm to really like lo- play more games and podcasting for. Yeah, I need Absolutely. to watch Solaris and Stalker because yeah. those movies, I like, can just tell that I'll really like them. <laughs> I need to watch Nasca and the Valley of the Winds because that sounds like way up my alley. Oh my god, yeah, you'd love it. It's awesome. It's, cool. it's amazing. I, yeah. I also want to watch several other movies you guys mentioned. Prestige. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. There, uh, there's a couple of these where I'm like, I want, I want to read that book and watch the movie. Like, I've never seen <laughs> Cloud Atlas or read that book. So, Oh, uh, read the book first, I would say. The book say. is great. Okay. I have not seen the movie, but the book yeah. is really good. I Yeah. Read the book. Watch the movie. Tell me what you think of that. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> um, cool. So, um, you know, I think uh, Seth... Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for, you know, dealing with our scheduling woes for the last few months. We really appreciate (laughs) you sticking with it. Um, Again, folks can find you at the Hugo's There podcast and the, uh, what's the, sorry, I'm blanking. What's the name of the other one? Take Me to Your Reader. Take Me to Your Reader. Um, So Google Hugo's There or Take Me to Your Reader and you'll find, you'll find Seth. Um, Matt. I think, I think all my picks uh, we have done episodes about, so. Oh, sorry. What was that? I think on uh, Take Me to Your Reader, we've done episodes on each one of my picks. Nice. Ooh. Yeah. And I think some of the other picks that Matt and I made too, right? Yeah. We did one on Starship Troopers. Right. Um, I don't think we did any of Matt's picks. Okay. <laughs> Matt, Matt definitely had the obscure yeah. pick. <laughs> right. We did yeah, one on Edge of Tomorrow too. So, But oh, I, I, cool. I highly recommend... Uh, except for the time machine. I highly recommend 20,000 Leagues and Nausicaa. I think they're awesome. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
Cool. All right. Well, thank you, Seth. Thank you, Matt. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thank you to everyone listening. Uh, we're at Spectology Pod on Twitter, SpectologyPod at gmail.com. Shoot us, you know, emails. Like I said, I'll I'll throw a brief Twitter poll up when this goes out and keep it up for a week and see if, if folks, you know, what what and also like tell us what adaptations you like. Like I'd love to hear more. Obviously, like we've all gotten film recommendations from this. So, you know, I'd love I'd love to get yeah. a few more. And then um, yeah, thank you to WJ for our music. He's on SoundCloud, Noah Bradley at NoahBradley.com for our cover artwork. And we will see you guys next time for the post read of Ryu Mitsusei's 10 billion days and 100 billion nights. Um, Bye, everyone. See you later. Bye.